0: Well, let me just first say thank you very much for having me here. I've, I, it's not at all a chore, it's a real joy. And uh, a privilege, actually, to be part of your church for a little while. Um, <clears throat> in terms of, I'm hoping that this talk will give you things to kind of take away and, and keep thinking about. Another good way to do that is that the two devotions in your uh, outlines or your zines. I have a little trouble with that term, but it's very cool. I just don't think I'm cool enough. Um, the, the two devotions uh, in there are not a bad way of kind of following up on some things, I think. So if you haven't looked at them, you know, you might think about doing that. Um, there are just some, before I start, there are just a few changes to your, the, the outline on page 20 and 21. <clears throat> so if you've got a pen, uh, that paragraph at the top, just take a pen and cross out the first line and then the second line and then every line of that outline of that paragraph because that applies to talk two. and then uh, point one cross that out and then point two cross that out and then point three and point four cross those out Um, let's pray Lord Jesus, thank you for giving wisdom as a possibility back to us. Would you help us to take some good steps in it this morning? For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Jesus gives us back the possibility of living wisely, or of at least learning to go in that direction. That's how we ended the second talk. He forgives us our, our sins and our follies. For he too takes the dark, wandering path to Sheol that we were stuck on, so that he can pull us back from death. And now he sets before us the chance to follow him again in the ways of wisdom, to come after him and to learn again how to live well in this world. How does that work? What does it look like? They are our questions for this final part of our journey and we'll only just begin to answer them and thankfully you guys are going to take a lot more time to answer them. How do we get on with this new life that Jesus has called us to? Our theme in this talk is summed up by Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 5. Be careful then how you live. This might be on the... Is there a slide about this? Yeah. Be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil the word for live there is literally walk be very careful how you walk paul says walking is a metaphor for living your life and it resonates with proverbs and with the way proverbs pictures life in terms of walking down paths and tracks Paul's instruction here is a lot like Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, which says the prudent consider their steps. But how do we do that? And what does it look like to walk wisely, making the most of every opportunity in this evil time? The book of Proverbs, I think, can help us with this. And in this talk, what I want to do is have a look together at a couple of ways that that might happen how proverbs could help us in a couple of ways to walk wisely today but before we get into that though i want to do even a bit more throat clearing and talk about why we're doing this in just a slightly different way um so let's just go to a blank slide when i went to do my phd on the book of proverbs um one man at my church asked me why proverbs uh, he thought Proverbs was actually, to be honest, a bit of a waste of time. And not that it wasn't interesting or part of the Bible or anything, uh, but just, just, it just didn't seem to be that important or central. Proverbs isn't quoted much in the New Testament, he pointed out. Is it worth that much attention? There's actually something true about this. Proverbs is nowhere near as central in the New Testament as, say, the book of Isaiah or the Psalms. Uh, nor can it be considered the heart of the Old Testament. But this shouldn't be overstated. My friend's argument also underestimated, I think, the, significant, the significance of Proverbs, particularly for the teaching of Jesus. Jesus was a wisdom teacher. That wasn't all he was, but it is one of the things he was. He would have been recognised as a wisdom teacher too. The Gospels record him speaking about wisdom and saying that something greater than Solomon is here. The style of his teaching is also often like that of Israel's wisdom traditions. And some of his teachings are drawn from Proverbs more than people realise. For example, in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 11, Jesus sees people choosing their seats at a dinner table and then he says... When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honour in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. He goes on, but I just want to notice that that teaching is almost exactly taken from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 6 to 7, which says it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. But the clearest example of Jesus' use of Proverbs is also the most important. It's found at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. We have it on the screen, I think. Matthew chapter 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount by speaking of wisdom and folly and by illustrating this with the image of building a house that either will or won't stand up in a storm, he is actually deliberately summoning up some of the central images and themes of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. Building a house is, in Proverbs, an archetypal image for living wisely. I've got some on the screen. By wisdom, a house is built, says Proverbs. By understanding, it is established. The wise woman builds a house, but the foolish tears it down with her hands. You see this image of house building as wisdom and also the storm. When the storm comes, the wicked are no more, but the foundation of the righteous endures. That's very, very close. The wicked are overthrown and come to nothing, but the house of the righteous stands. Uh, These allusions are not often noticed, but I think they are clear and I think they're really important. Here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus frames his most famous piece of moral teaching in terms of wisdom, in terms of wisdom as Proverbs understood it. He had come to offer the same promise as the book of Proverbs, the promise of wisdom. Well, there is one book we can uh, move on there. There is one book in the New Testament that takes this point very seriously. And that's the book of James. In James, what we have is wisdom teaching in the same tradition. James writes wisdom for Christians that draws on the wisdom teaching of Jesus and of Israel's wisdom literature. And here is just one really important example from James chapter 1. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Now James's teaching here is drawn both from the teaching of Jesus and from the book of Proverbs. From Jesus, he gets this idea of being doers of the word and not just hearers. Do you remember Jesus says, if anybody hears my word and acts on them, same idea. But it's from Proverbs that James gets this emphasis on listening, speaking and anger. In fact, that combination of ideas, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, is a good summary of what might be the three most central emphases of the actual Proverbs. Okay, well, what, is it, what have we learnt from all this? What's the point of all this prolegomena? What I've been trying to show you is that when we try to read the book of Proverbs, what we're doing is continuing to do something we see both Jesus and James doing. We're recognising that living the Christian life also means living wisely. And that we can learn a lot about how to do that from the Bible's wisdom traditions. Okay, then, well, what can we learn? Well, in the rest of this talk, I want to explore just two ways in which I think Proverbs can help us learn to live wisely as Christians, and they're the two ways that we've just seen James talk about. First, I I want to think about how Proverbs can help us learn how not just to be hearers but doers of the word. James says, don't just be hearers but be doers. Okay, how? Proverbs can help us with that. And second, I think Proverbs can help us learn how to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Okay, first then, let's think about being doers of the word. How do we make sure we don't do what both Jesus and James warn us about? Being hearers only, and not those who... who, who and, and, and not those who don't put what they hear into practice. right? We don't want to be those guys who, who hear and then don't put it into practice. We want to be doers. It's easy to assume that at this point there's not actually anything else to say. right? We just have to get on with it. Don't just be a hearer, be a doer. Do it. Make sure you put things into practice. That would be a mistake, though. And it's a mistake because... Mostly, there is a time gap between when we hear a word and when we face a situation in which we're required to act upon it. The person who hears a sermon about not stealing is not normally at that very moment engaging in fraudulent trading on their phone. Although, if you are currently engaging in fraudulent trading, stop. (laughs) You should not do that. Um, mostly, however, mostly things are not like that, you see. Mostly there is a space of time that intervenes between what we hear and when we're called to act upon it. Justin preaches one of his 15 sermons on, you know, uh, covetousness. I don't know if you're going to do that, but that would be a good series. Um, <laughs> but, but actually, that might be an easy one to it, but, you know, you know on, on theft, right? And then you've got to go to work the next week and think about it. And that's why James talks about the problem of forgetting. Did you notice that? James says that the person who is a hearer but not doer is is like someone who looks in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what they looked like. And what we do what, what we need to do instead, he says, is to be those who look into the perfect law and continue in it, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act. We, need, we have to learn to be people who continue in the law or in the teaching that we hear, who continue in it and don't forget. That's the trick, it seems, to being not just a hearer but a doer as well. Well, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you continue like that? Well, here I think is one place the book of Proverbs can really help us. Because this is one of the central themes of its opening chapters. In the opening chapters of Proverbs, what we see over and over again, as I've said, is a call to pay attention to, to remember the good words. If you've got your Bible, just look at the first verse of chapters 2 to 7. Again and again, actually it's in chapter 6 verse 20, not in chapter 6 verse 1, but... 2131415171620 Again and again we hear the voice of parents calling their children to pay attention to listen to not forget my instruction And this is because the book of Proverbs knows that we live our lives amidst a contest of words This is how Proverbs begins as we've seen remember the contrast between the words of the mother and father and the words of these sinners trying to entice the youth. Come, they say. Come, join our gang. They speak to him. They give it these promises. We see it again in chapter 2, which was read. Uh, the whole of chapter 2, which is on pages 18 and 19 of your, your zine, um, is actually one poem. It's actually one long, complex sentence in Hebrew. One sentence, that whole chapter. It's actually... It's the kind of poem that is like uh, it's like a Rubik's Cube puzzle. It's just too clever, and you're like, "Come on, you know, it's a bit much. But um, there it is. One long, complex poem. What's this poem about? Well, notice the way it begins by describing the benefits of listening to and treasuring words of wisdom, guarding it, seeking it, longing for it, keeping it close. If you accept my words, he says, turning your ear, applying your heart, if you look for it as silver, search for it. And the benefit is that it will take you down every good path, verse 9. It will protect you and keep you. And what will it keep you from? Well, it will keep you from, verse 12, the way of evil. But what is the way of evil? It is the way of those who speak perversely. Verse 12, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse. Whose words are perverse. Speech and words, you see, is key. The same is there in verse 16. The most dangerous thing about this strange woman, the word for adulteress is actually just the strange woman, foreign woman. Remember, this is, was originally written to young Israelite men. right? That's why that focus is there. What's so dangerous about her? Well, it turns out it's her seductive words. Verse 16. The wayward woman with her seductive words. That theme is actually something that the opening chapters of Proverbs come back to again and again and again. The temptation of adultery is the focus of three major sections. If you want to write them down there, chapter 5, verses 1 to 23, chapter 6, verses 20 to 35, and the whole of chapter 7. A big chunk of Proverbs 1 to 9 is about this temptation of the strange woman. The reason for this is twofold, I think. Partly, as I said, it's because the original audience was these young Israelite men and this was something they especially needed to hear. But that's not all that's going on, I don't think. I think adultery is also in focus because somehow it highlights the key issues the crucial dynamics with which Proverbs is concerned, it shows how it happens. That someone can be a hearer but not a doer. That someone can forget the good words and so leave the good paths. Um, just turn with me to chapter 7 if you've got a Bible. If not, I'll just, I'll just I'll read you some things. Chapter 7, verses 1 to, the whole chapter really, 1 to twenty-seven. So chapter 7 begins, like I've said, with this call to remember, to heed. Keep my words, my son. Keep my commands, verse 2. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart, verse 3. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. It's keep, keep wisdom close. Keep these words close. Why? Verse 5. They will keep you from the strange woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. And then we get this little story. Of how it goes wrong. Verse 6 At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. In a way, included the lattice. But... <laughs> I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And then with brazen face, she said, and then look, she makes this long speech. Today I've fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home so I came out to meet you I looked for you and have found you I've covered my bed with coloured linens from Egypt I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon I think this was meant to be super sexy Uh, It doesn't really connect perhaps with us Ooh, a bed with cinnamon Yes So that's a bit weird, but you get the the thing. You get the impression, right? Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. The key to the young man's disaster is her words. Look at verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. That's a really common metaphor in these chapters, her smooth talk. Smooth words. Elsewhere it says, her words drip like honey. And disaster ensues. Uh, If we had time, we could see the same emphasis all over these chapters. Have a look at really chapters 5 to 7. It is words Proverbs teaches us. That lead us like a bit in our mouth or a ship's rudder. Just to use a couple of James's other images. Now, this should make a serious, give serious attention then to the question of what words are guiding us day by day. What words are you listening to? We live our lives amidst a contest of invitations. Words will come at us. They come at us and they're going to be smooth and seductive. We will receive invitations to take different paths. We'll get them online. We'll get them at work. We'll get them on our phones. And it will not be enough. And here's the point to make sure you take in. It will not be enough just to assume that you know a better way, that you've already decided. Why is that? Because words are powerful in the moment. People tend to assume that it's images that are our biggest problem. Now that's not true. I mean, images are a problem, but pornography and greed and consumption, they depend on words just as much as images. They use words in headings and captions to lure people in, words that activate the mind and promise things that cannot be delivered. It is words very often that lead us astray, friends. Brothers and sisters, are you too confident in your ability in the moment to know what is right and to be able to choose it? Are you overestimating your ability to resist smooth words What we need is not just to make better choices, to do what we know we should do. That's true, but how do you do it? What we need, Proverbs tells us, is to have with us in the moment words that will keep us on the right path. What we need is to have them, to use those words we read in chapter 7, verse 3, to have words that are better bound on our fingers and written on our hearts. If we want to be doers of the word and not hearers only, then we need, as James tells us, to learn how to continue in what we have heard. And here is just a powerful call, I think, for regular reading of scripture and fellowship in church. The point of all this Bible we do is not just so we can know our Bible. It's so that when it comes to the crunch... These words are the ones that cut through loud and clear. This voice is the one that sings sweetest and loudest. The one that enters our heart and keeps us on the right path. Friends, in the words of Proverbs 4, verse 13, keep hold of instruction, do not let it go, guard her, for she is your life. Okay, that's the first way in which I hope Proverbs can help us to walk in wisdom. Now for the second, Proverbs can also help us with some of the most important aspects of walking in wisdom, some of the most important content, the ones James mentions when he says, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, here James is actually summing up what are some of the most important themes of the second half of Proverbs, as I said. But let me explain that a bit. And as I do this, I'm going to ask for some help to hand out some sheets. Um, I don't know if you've read much of Proverbs chapters 10 to 31 before. Okay. Okay. Uh, but when you first read these, the sayings that begin in chapter 10, it, a, quite a common experience is that it's, it's a bit bewildering. Um, they just seem like random, disconnected bits of advice and prudence that it's hard to make any sense of. Um, Have anybody experienced this? You know, what's the connection between these ideas? We're so used to reading texts that are long and we're trying to kind of work out the flow of argument. Proverbs is, what's going on? I think this is actually a bit like looking at a painting really close up. Have we got a slide of, so anybody, um, when you look really close range, right? Anybody, can, can anybody guess what that is? Okay, let's zoom out. Next slide. It's part of one of, one of Monet's haystack paintings. If you look at a painting really close up, you see all these individual brush strokes, and some of them don't seem to make sense. You know, they stand out, there's a wrong colour in this space, but when you pan back, you can see a coherent picture. And some of the contrasting sayings actually add to the picture, kind of like the coloured dots in a Van Gogh painting. Uh, or a different Monet painting. Okay, but how do you pan back from a book? That, actually panning back, not going to help you. Just make it impossible to read, in my case. Um, Well, one way to do it is to try and group the Proverbs into themes. And when you do this, you notice a couple of things. First, you notice that actually there's a relatively small number of main themes in Proverbs. Secondly, you notice that the themes are interconnected in many ways. Um, and I think these three themes are really good examples. So have a look at that sheet, and I need one. I'm not going to read all of these. Um, I'll just read some selections. So well, we've got some, some a selection of, of the, the proverbs about anger. There are actually more, uh, but this is, a, I think, a good selection. Some proverbs about speech and some proverbs about listening and prudence rash words are like sword thrust but the tongue of the wise brings healing one who is quick tempered acts foolishly and the schemer is hated maybe i will read whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but one who has a hasty temper exalts folly Calmness of tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Those who are hot-tempered stir up strife, but those who are slow to anger, calm contention. One of the things you notice with these Proverbs about anger is is Proverbs has um, this set of images. It kind of circles around. So calmness of tongue is an image. Um, Slowness of anger, or literally length of anger. That's another kind of key image. And, and hotness of spirit. One who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and one whose temper is controlled than one who captures a city. Those with good sense are slow to anger and their glory, it is their glory to overlook an offence. just skip down to the last one there, chapter 30, verses 32 to 33. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you've been devising evil... Put your hand over your mouth, for as pressing milk produces curds, and pressing the nose produces blood, so pressing anger produces strife. There's proverbs about speech. Basically, they say, don't talk so much. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but the prudent are restrained in speech. A gossip goes about telling secrets, but one who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a confidence. One who is clever conceals knowledge, but the mind of a fool broadcasts folly. I love that. I love that image. This kind of constant broadcasting of folly opposed to a person who can kind of keep it in. Those who guard their mouths preserve their lives. Those who open wide their lips come to ruin. Um, John Chrysostom, an early church father, uh, commented I think on this proverb that wasn't it kind of God to surround the mouth with a double wall, both the lips and the tongue so that it's kind of harder to open because mostly when it opens, it's a problem (laughs) to make an apt answer is a joy to anyone and a word in season how good it is so it's not all bad, right? An apt answer is a joy, a word in season. How good is that? The words of the mouth are deep waters, the fountain of wisdom is a gushing stream. One gives an answer before hearing, it is folly and shame. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips informed by knowledge are a precious jewel. One who gives an honest answer gives a kiss on the lips. Beautiful image. Like a city breached without walls is one who lacks self-control. And then there's some proverbs about prudence and listening. There is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. The simple believe everything, but the prudent consider their steps. So there's a kind of believing everything and a kind of careful taking in. A fool despises a parent's instruction, but the one who heeds admonition is prudent. Without counsel, plans go wrong, but with many advisers, they succeed. Those who are attentive to a matter or literally a word will prosper. And happy are those who trust in the Lord. Plans are established by taking advice. Wage war by following wise guidance. Uh, It it would be good to take more time over these sayings and think about where they point out things to pay attention to, sore points in our culture. I think there'd be a lot to work with. I think it would do us well, and one of the devotions is partly about this, to, 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 to reflect on these themes for social media and our use of social media. I hope you'll take some time to mull over some of these Proverbs and what they might offer you. For now, though, let me just say that that last saying that I didn't read there, it sums up much of the picture I think Proverbs paints overall. And it shows us how the the, the areas we've been looking at are connected. Whoever trusts in his heart is a fool. Whoever walks in wisdom will escape. You see, the key to life is not primarily about internal mental capacities, like cleverness, or even your internal virtues. It's not about your heart. Rather, it's about walking in wisdom. It's about holding your grip on the ways of life that work and sticking to them. And that means it's fundamentally about words. It's about being willing to and able to listen to instruction. It's about not flooding the world with your own silly words so that the words that matter are drowned out. And it's about not getting yourself into a space where you can't hear those words or walk those paths anymore. That, I think, is why anger is so toxic. Why it's so central in Proverbs. Because it stops you being able to hear wisdom. It creates quarrels that cut people off from wisdom. It entangles and ensnares. Those words are in chapter 22, verse 25. I didn't read that one, but that's that's the one on your sheet that says, Make no friends with those given to anger and do not associate with hotheads, or you may learn their ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Just like sexual immorality... This is also why, for Proverbs, I think the beginning of wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs begins, chapter 1, verse 7. And then it adds, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fundamentally, for Proverbs, being wise is not so much about what you are or what you know as it is about what you end up doing which is why it's about which words you listen to. Well, let's draw an end to these talks. <clears throat> we began... we have a slide of some kind? Oh, no, that's coming up. Stay with the blank. Sorry. We began by thinking with gladness about the world we live in, about creation, the good earth God has made by wisdom, and that is full of his hospitality to human life. And then this morning we had to lament our failure to live in this world wisely. Our foolish refusal to take up wisdom's invitations to life. We faced our own judgment. But then we saw afresh the beauty of Jesus, the wise one, who gave up his own wise and beautiful life to rescue us fools and who calls us to follow him and to learn again to walk in wisdom. And just now we've been learning more of what that looks like and how Proverbs can help us with it. It's shown us again, I hope, the preciousness of Scripture. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light upon my path. That's a wisdom idea, even though it's in Psalm 119, those words. And it's forced us, I hope, to confront our habits of speech and anger that get in the way of wisdom. But now I want to finish by reminding us of one more important thing, which is this. The pursuit of this wisdom, this path of following Jesus in our age, will not always look very wise to others. Remember what we heard Paul say at the beginning of this talk. Be very careful then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. The days are evil. That means wisdom will not be admired as it should be. Often it will be ridiculed. Goodness and righteousness will be laughed at as stupid, naive, and old fashioned. The integrity of creation will be seen as a burden, a hurdle to be overcome. Just as people derided and abandoned Jesus, so they may well do to those who love him. Maybe, friends, that is how it will be in our days. But don't despair. Don't despair, because this is all in God's providence. In fact, even more than that, this is his wisdom. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians the slide for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god for it is written i will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning i will thwart where is the wise one where is the scribe where is the debater of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. So let us walk in wisdom, but following the one who was crucified for doing so. And even in our wisdom, we can only be his disciples. Servants are not greater than their masters. So let us set our eyes upon him and put our hands to the work And walk in wisdom, making the most of the time. Because the days are evil. Amen. Let's pray. May I pray? Father, we would dearly love to get better at this task of walking in wisdom. To be not just hearers of the word, but doers also. We would love to be people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Lord, help us with whatever parts of that we need help with, please, by the power of your spirit. And help us also to remember that we do so following our Lord Jesus, your wisdom, who looks very foolish in this world. And it's in his name that we pray and to his mercy that we entrust ourselves. Amen.